presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. There are two major factors in the cost of living puzzle, how much things cost and how much people earn. Tonight, we take a look at affordable housing and efforts to open up higher paying jobs to more Idahoans. I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, associate producer Logan Finney explores how the Workforce Housing Fund contributes to solving the affordable housing puzzle and what else is needed. Then President Gordon Jones from the College of Western Idaho joins me to discuss a new four-year degree proposal at the community college. But first, let's get you caught up on the week. Senate President Pro Tem Chuck Winder has stripped two senators of their vice chairmanships and has threatened to take another off the state's budget setting committee. This comes after those three lawmakers have repeatedly criticized their colleagues publicly for votes on budget bills and other measures. Senators Brian Lenny, Glenita Zeiderfeld and Scott Herndon defended themselves, saying Winder's actions violated their First Amendment rights. This is only the latest flare up of tensions between different factions of the Idaho Republican Party as the Idaho Freedom Caucus and Main Street Idaho are rallying support for their respective caucus members ahead of the 2024 primary election. A lawsuit from Attorney General Raul Labrador against the Idaho State Board of Education is heading to trial. Labrador sued the state board over alleged open meeting violations after the board went into executive session closed to the public to discuss the University of Idaho's proposed acquisition of the University of Phoenix earlier this spring. Last week, a judge dismissed some of Labrador's complaints, but will allow one to move forward in civil court. If the judge agrees with Labrador, it could jeopardize UI's acquisition of University of Phoenix. The Idaho Department of Labor has announced the state's unemployment rate hit 3.2 percent for October, up slightly from September's 3.1 percent. That's still lower than the national unemployment rate of 3.9 percent. One highlight of Friday's job report, last month Idaho led the nation in non-farm job growth with a 3.5 percent increase across industries like manufacturing, real estate and retail. Idaho Department of Health and Welfare Director Dave Jepson is retiring after five years of, as the head of Idaho's largest state agency. Jepson shepherded Idaho through the COVID-19 crisis and Medicaid expansion. Idaho Department of Insurance Director Dean Cameron will serve as interim health and welfare director while Governor Brad Little searches for a replacement. It's no secret that Idaho has a housing crisis. Housing is hard to come by and units that are available are expensive. There's no single solution to the complex problem, but one piece is the Workforce Housing Fund created by the 2022 legislature. This week, associate producer Logan Finney travels to Bonner County to see how the fund is working out in their community. I don't think that it's a secret. There's a need throughout the state for all types of housing. One way to address a lack of affordable housing, build more homes at more prices that Idahoans can afford. Financing that right price point is often easier said than done, says marketing director Jason Lands from the Idaho Housing and Finance Association. 
Affordable housing is kind of a broad term. The challenges that a resort community like in the Ketchum area would face is completely different from what, you know, more metropolitan area like Boise or the Treasure Valley would face. And then you throw in, you know, there's an acute need for affordable housing that's safe for, you know, in rural areas. We are rural. Every inch of Bonner County is considered rural by the USDA standards. Crystal Horvath is executive director of the Bonner Community Housing Agency, a Sandpoint nonprofit that, unlike a governmental housing authority, partners with developers and residents to help build private homes in an achievable price range. What we strive to do is build homes that people making the average median income can afford to purchase. For a family of four, the state says median income is about fifty-seven dollars to $60,000 a year uh, to adults. I know lots of people that have one or two part-time jobs, and they are making you know, 2000 a month and feel pretty blessed to be making that. Low income housing is one piece of affordability, but recent policy efforts have narrowed to focus on workforce housing, or homes in the price range of people who, in theory, are making a decent salary, but still struggle finding a place to live. The intent there is housing for people who are increasingly finding it difficult to find affordable housing that are in the workforce already. And, you know, that could be anywhere from nurses to teachers to first responders. We need people to come here that are our doctors and nurses and law enforcement and you know all these public servants we are we are missing the mark with that price range and lower. Nancy Hadley is a longtime Bonner County resident with deep family ties in the community. She owns a piece of land in town which she's developing in partnership with the Bonner Community Housing Agency. BCHA um, helped me develop it and come up with the idea of smaller lots, uh, the triplex, uh, the quad buildings, duplexes, and keeping them single family, so they're single family attached. As an example, 10 years ago, 250000 was the price that I wanted to hit. And by the time you do all the infrastructure, cost of the land, build the houses, and builders are very hard to come by, I just wasn't able to hit the target number. Unfortunately now, you know, our number is 360 to 450. And then with the change in interest rates, that also has changed it. Basically stalled the project because all the prices increased and the cost of all the supplies increased, the cost of building increased, and then nobody can afford those loans. Most of our local employees are not making $30 an hour. They're making, if they're lucky, $16 an hour and a lot of them are at 10 to $12 an hour. Hopefully interest rates will come back around and we'll be able to work with some other programs that hopefully we'll be able to get some people in there and they'll be able to have home ownership. State lawmakers in 2022 used $50 million from the American Rescue Plan Act to create the Workforce Housing Fund, a program that supplies gap financing in support of housing developments targeted at Idaho's workforce. Gap financing is a, is a very important piece to a complicated financial puzzle that's necessary to build these types of homes. There's a complicated stack of funding. You know, there's private investment, there's workforce housing fund, there's community investment. All those funding mechanisms stack up and the workforce housing fund steps in again to fill that gap between what the affordable rents can support and then the cost of building and operating a development for the long term. 
Gap financing from the Workforce Housing Fund allowed Bonner Community Housing Agency to construct two triplex buildings on Hadley's property, making for six workforce units. The fund financed another development in Sandpoint with 91 units and 15 more developments for a total of 1,156 workforce housing units all across the state. It was a true collaborative effort between municipalities, developers, other lenders, and us. Those 1,150 units are spread across rural, urban, top to bottom, you know, 17 developments in 11 different communities. The numbers just didn't work any other way. So by having the state participate, and especially since it was my goal to build affordable housing for workforce, it was just heaven sent. The only reason that's even moving forward right now is because of the ARPA workforce housing funds. Otherwise, there would be no funds to build even one unit as a spec home to try and use to sell the rest of the units. Even with the support of the Workforce Housing Fund and other financing programs available, housing advocates still see a deep need for affordability. I have approximately 300 families on my list looking for housing, and we get calls almost every day and walk-ins multiple times a week. I can't tell you how many single moms I have with kids that are working, you know, 30, 40 hours a week and they just can't save enough money to afford the deposit and the security and first and last and everything that it costs to get into a place, even if they can find a place. Some private employers, like Schweitzer Mountain Resort, have turned to building their own employee housing to help get at the issue, but that's not a realistic solution for every local employer. We've had other businesses who have told us that they have had people accept job positions and then have to turn them down because they can't find a house to live in. They can't move up here and accept the job. We need those people. We need working class people. We need the trades here. And, you know, so we're looking at jobs in the 60, 70, $80,000 range. And there's no way that I'm going to be able to provide housing in the 30 to 40,000. But, you know, a two income earning family, um, something like that sold a lot to a school teacher. I'm working with that person to get them a USDA loan to actually be able to build, because they can't even build on the lot yet. With assistance from organizations like the Idaho Housing and Finance Association and the Bonner Community Housing Agency, Idahoans are getting closer to affordable home ownership, but there's still a long way to go. Whether it's financing or people who would help or families who would donate land at a reduced price to the housing agency or Local families who, instead of renting their house on Airbnb, were willing to rent it to a pre-qualified local family, because that's one of the things we run into as well, as so many homes are going up on vacation rental sites that, again, people are being kicked out of their homes because they can make three grand renting out their house instead of 1,500 a month renting it out to a consistent person. You know, if we can do 30, 40, the 20%. I mean, it's just a few units along the way. If everybody did that, it would make a huge difference. There's going to be multiple answers and multiple avenues, groups of people, hopefully, that come together to create some stability in the low-income housing need. And joining me to discuss that fund is Logan Finney. Logan, thanks so much for your work on this. If an Idahoan is curious about this fund, how can they take advantage of it? Um, sure. The workforce development, excuse me, the workforce housing fund is uh, open just like any other sort of loan program or grant program to developers who are looking to build these type of units. 
what are the status of those units that you discussed with some of your sources in this package? Sure, um, I actually just spoke with Crystal Horvath from the uh, Bonner Community Housing Agency yesterday. She said that uh, they've poured foundations, that concrete is curing, and they are optimistic and hopeful that construction will wrap up in the spring and they'll be able to get some people housed fairly soon. So as we're talking about these more than 1,000 units that this fund has made possible, these are still largely units that are in progress. They're not available for people to move in right now. Oh, certainly, yes. And when I, when I spoke with the Idaho Housing and Finance Association, they're the ones that administer this grant through the authority given to them by the state. Um, the, the loans are closed and everything is financed, but it, it is still very early in that construction phase. That's part of the, the reason housing is, you know, the, part of the reason this issue is so complicated is it takes a long time between idea to concept to execution to actually getting someone in the house. It's, it's just a long time frame. We talk a lot about funding and interest rates, but there are some policy issues at play here too. I think I've heard a lot of people talk about things like tiny homes as a potential solution to affordable housing, but that's not gonna do you any good if you have nowhere to put the tiny home, which is a zoning issue. What are some other uh, issues that are not specifically tied to funding that you ran into? Sure, uh, similar to zoning, which is not an issue that the state has any say in, that's more of a county and city local issue. Um, a similar financial factor is the cost of um, the applications, the design reviews that cities and planning and zoning commissions do, the cost to hook up to power and water city infrastructure, depending on the city, that can also um, be a, a hindrance if a lot of those very small fees stack up or they can be different from city to city. And so that's just one more piece that a that a more local policymaker could, could make an impact on. You touch on this briefly in the package, but Airbnbs and short-term vacation rentals are also part of this because uh, homeowners are choosing to rent out on a short-term basis to get more money as opposed to a long-term basis local municipalities can't ban Airbnbs or local vacation rentals in Idaho. Right, that's right. That is a, uh, a policy area that the state legislature has has passed a preemption law saying that uh, it's the, the state law takes precedent over, over what's any sort of regulations that a local city would, would implement. All right, thanks so much for your work on this, Logan. And this week on the Idaho Reports podcast, you'll find the extended conversation between Logan and Jason Lance about the Idaho Housing and Finance Association and its array of programs. You can find the Idaho Reports podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Affordable housing is just one piece of the cost of living puzzle, another critical aspect, earning potential. As first reported by Idaho Education News, College of Western Idaho is proposing adding a four-year bachelor's degree in business administration to its lineup. The college's board of trustees have signed off on the proposal and the state board of education will soon consider it as well. Earlier this week, I sat down with CWI president Gordon Jones to discuss the proposal and the place of higher education in today's society. Thanks so much for joining us today. First of all, what is this four-year degree proposal? Yeah, so this is a proposal to for the College of Western Idaho to offer a Bachelor of Applied Science in Business Administration. And, you know, for most of us, um, that may sound like a lot of words strung together, but in higher education, a Bachelor of Applied Science is what it sounds like. It's applied education. So you learn some theory, but you also are learning hands-on or experiential type learning. And that's different than a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Science. You might have heard of those terms or listeners might have in um, some of our four-year universities. So the curriculum of that 
degree would include some career technical classes and some of that hands-on work. Is this the only four-year degree that you're currently considering? It, it is. So the College of Western Idaho has over 50 programs. All of them are AAs or, or career technical education or certificates, things that have historically been in that area. So this would be um, a new degree. But interestingly, Idaho Codes allowed for two-year schools since 1961 to offer uh, two- or four-year degrees. It's just not been something that, um, that we've offered to date. In the future, and we know that the State Board of Education has to sign off on this proposal, in the future, if that's successful, do you see offering other four-year degrees? You know, I think one of the things, um, yes, but very limited. We're always, we are committed to being a community college. We're not trying to become, I don't know, air quotes, a four-year college or a four-year university. That's not what this is about. We have 23 other states in the United States where community colleges offer these applied bachelors that come in and, and really we can talk about the purpose, but filling needs in the community. Um, and so for Idaho, um, that's really, I think, for College of Western Idaho, that, that opportunity is to meet specific needs, not try to become something we're not already. And let's talk about where you got here. As you mentioned, this already exists in other states at other community colleges. How did you identify that this was a need that needed to be filled in the Treasure Valley? You know, I think for College of Western Idaho, um, one of the things community colleges are very sensitive to is being responsive to the community. And one of the things we looked at, really two things we looked at, one is there are tens of thousands of people in the Treasure Valley who do not have access to really meaningful jobs and terrific career opportunities because of educational attainment and skills or training that can get them access to be candidates for these openings. And then secondly, we look at a Treasure Valley where one of the things we hear is from our employer community is what's holding us back? What's the single greatest challenge is having a skilled workforce, enough people to meet demands. And at CWI, we're meeting with whether it be partners like a Micron or some of the manufacturing community, Lactilis, Amalgamated Sugar, Amazon. We're very connected. And when we see those two things at work, we realize that there, there is a gap and an opportunity for many types of learners who we serve, adults, individuals who are uh, career technical backgrounds who might want to go on and get a bachelor's. This Bachelor's of Applied Science is a great pathway for a number of people who are not traditionally thinking about residential-based four-year you know, education. So we think it's about meeting the needs of this community and being sensitive to it. How much is this going to cost a prospective student? You know, community colleges have always been about affordability. So, um, you know, it is estimated, we estimate this will be under $20,000 total. And, and that's also, um, uh, I think, probably welcome to many of the viewers. Um, median household income in Idaho, I'm told, is just, just under $64,000. So certainly for affordability a household. for a household, median household income. And so um, that kind of affordability is living the promise of public higher ed to me, which is um, affordable access. How is the college able to afford to offer the degree at this price point compared to a four-year university? Yeah, so community colleges are certainly known for affordability. I think in Idaho, we have eight wonderful institutions. Um, we all are all different. So sometimes people think of us as the same or equivalent. 
and I think we are meeting the state of Idaho uh, needs in different ways. So community colleges, there's a couple things that um, I think go into our level of affordability. One is often our faculty who are incredibly, um, all of our faculty have masters and PhDs, but they typically are teaching first. They are all teachers, we don't do research. And so they're gonna often be teaching more classes. That means they are um, connecting to more students and that lowers our cost because of that ability to teach so many classes for those faculty members. The other is um, community colleges are typically, we're not residency based, we do more commuting. We have a lot of our students are over age 24, a third of our 30,000. So we, we're catering to people who want lots of flexibility. They're not necessarily looking to live on our campus, eat in our dorms, take part in lots of the experience that often our residential based four-year partners offer. And so that allows us to, we're not, we don't have a large athletics department. We don't even know I'm gonna have athletics. So some of those things can, they're meaningful for a lot of people, but not necessarily for everyone, and that allows us to stay lean and affordable. How does this fit in with your existing mission at College of Western Idaho with workforce readiness and serving this community that is, isn't necessarily a traditional higher education population? Yeah. Well, I, I would say, look, the Bachelor of Applied Science, it may be new in the, in the sense that we have not offered a four-year degree, and pending state board review and approval, it would be new, but I would argue it's really directly on mission. CWI, um, we stand for one thing, affordable, employable, empowering education. The type of degree, I would argue, is less relevant. It's understanding that our lane is applied, career technical, transfer, but it's all built on affordable, empowering education. and. This BAS in business administration is absolutely dead center set on large employer needs in our community, connecting our residents to those roles and recognizing that um, this is, I would argue, directly on mission. This also comes at a time when lawmakers have, many lawmakers have made it clear that they really support these career readiness uh, uh, programs that it, that they're supporting the governor's launch program that provides $8,000 in tuition or program fees for uh, these in-demand careers. Uh, was that something that weighed into your decision to pitch this to your board and the state board? I think they're adjacent in length. I would just say, look, launch is a very powerful program, but it's built on a premise. If we think analytically, what is launch? And I would say if you like it, you're gonna like our BAS because launch is built on a premise that if we invest and offer our residents a way to lower their cost to get an education, $8,000, um, that, 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 that the premise is more people are gonna be able to participate in higher ed. And I think this BAS is addressing a need and it's got levels of affordability, sub $20,000, that I believe will open up for many people for whom today they're not choosing to go, go on, or return to get retrained or relearn a new chapter in life. So to me, they're very adjacent. They're distinctive. I mean, Launch is a, a governor initiative that all eight institutions support and participate in. But um, this BAS to me is right in the same logic and the same idea, which is if we can make this affordable, more people have access, we can fuel this economy and really create a thriving Idaho. 
You talked a little bit about how the eight public higher ed institutions are like siblings. You serve different populations. You serve very different communities across the state. Um, let's talk a little bit about the identity of College of Western Idaho in this landscape where, again, so many people are really supporting career-ready education programs. And a lot of students and, and young people are really wary of adding on to their debt load and taking on student loans. When you're looking at um, you know, adding this four-year program, is this a, a one-off thing that we consider by itself or is it part of the shift that we're seeing when it comes to the public's approach to higher education? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at a high level, higher ed in this country is in a chapter like a lot of things and this chapter is it, one of the key attributes is a, a public sentiment that's wrestling with affordability, affordability of everything, not just higher ed, right? It could be housing, could be um, you know, cost of living overall. Um, I, I think there's a desire for um, a, a greater connection to how this can truly pay off, not intellectually, but it, with the facts. Do I benefit, not does one who graduates benefit? And not at a theoretical level, and um, and I think right now that the community colleges have historically in this country all, always been functioning with high affordability um, and high empowerment. I say empowerment, but really that's all, for most people employment. And um, at the same time, I think that you're seeing people historically think of community colleges as places where folks who maybe didn't know what they want to do, maybe uh, you know weren't interested, sort of a place of last resort. I think that's changing. I actually think people are seeing it as a place where value is, is present, meaningful, sort of a place where smart people go, people who understand value, people who get that this is a path to empowerment. It's less about pedigree and more about progress and empowerment. And I think the, the, the public, we're gonna be in a phase where we work, all of us work to reinstill confidence and I think we have to have our solutions and this Bachelor of Applied Science is saying let's be a participant in our own solutions to offering up to the community believable um, encouraging and empowering pathways in addition to saying hey we may be getting tagged with some things that aren't fair but the reality is is we got to come up with solutions and I think this BAS is part of that what are those unfair things that you're being tagged with well that I I, I don't think um, I think higher ed is doing good work. I think we are very mission driven. I don't think there's people who are trying to um, undermine the, the fabric of, of, of this country. I think the American dream is run straight through education. Um, I can't tell you the number of people who've told me about somebody in their family, often one, two, maybe three generations back who made a bold step to participate in education, to become a doctor, a lawyer, um, an accountant. And that had multi-generational change. In my life, it was a grandparent who, um, for them, a trade was not the path for them, and it was education that enabled them to pursue a career in science. Make some great discoveries, I think, today that participate in teams that um, invented things, but also put my father through college and enabled me to have a path. And, I, I'm somebody who likes to appreciate and not just uh, wave off the past. I think it's worth, it's worth um, finding all that good and not just throwing out 
in wholesale cloth comments that, that denigrate something. So I think that's what I meant. Um, I think there's a lot of good there, but I do think we want to participate in making sure we stay current. We acknowledge where people have real concerns and let's address those with honesty and transparency. It was a good point too about generational impacts of higher education. President Gordon Jones, College of Western Idaho, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks so much for watching. For more content throughout the week, be sure to follow us on social media, including Facebook and our new Instagram account. You can also find us on YouTube, where we've been posting Idaho Reports episodes from our archive dating back to the late 70s. This week, our featured episode is from 1983 and explores the previous 50 years of federal government policy on Indigenous Americans. We're off next week for Thanksgiving, but we'll see you back here in December. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.